Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Desert Isolation Discs. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest. He's a South End boy done good who's traded working in the bingo halls at the home of the world's longest pier for West London and a lengthy career in journalism. He's been published by just about every national newspaper and currently works alongside me at the Independent and Evening Standard. His personable writing style and desire to guide people away from financial troubles has earned him not only the moniker of the People's Champion, but several awards too, although he's usually been at the bar when he's supposed to be collecting them. He's known for his Jimmy White style waistcoats, dedication to sunglasses and cocktails, and his propensity to be spotted in the stands at Stamford Bridge. His eclectic music tastes and constant desire for a chuckle mark him out as a class act. My guest is Simon Reed. Simon, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you as a guest on Desert Isolation Discs. Um, your life is uh, pretty defined by music. You know, you're uh, obsessed with it and you've got headphones on, you know, most of the places you go. Uh, how do you approach assembling this list? You know, I thought about, uh, you know, tunes that uh, I like or mean a great deal to me, but I t- descended on ones that helped me change my appreciation of music. You know, uh, I'll, I'll go straight in, but the one, the one I'm going to start off with is Dr Feelgood, who, when I grew up in the 70s, they were a local band, and, you know, I, never, never, I hadn't seen them. Uh, they weren't the first band I saw live. The first band I saw live was called... Bartley James Harvest. They were a mm. prog band. You know, when I went to um, when I went to the concert, it mm. was remarkable because it's so loud. Yeah. But it, you know, it didn't didn't um, didn't touch me at all. Yeah. It didn't didn't make me feel alive or excited or, or that uh, it was just this this noise. You know, uh, and most of the first few gigs I went to, it was like, well, here I am going to these gigs, seeing these big bands, and you know, here's their music. So that, that's in it. South End. This is in South End. Yeah. Mm. And then I, I went to see Dr. Philgood because they're a local band, and it's the first time I experienced the, 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 the thrill. You know, when you can feel the music in your heart, you feel the... You, you want to dance to it. It's not just standing there nodding your head and thinking, oh, isn't this, isn't this deep? It was like, this is, this is alive, this is vibrant, this is mm. fascinating, this is making me want to feel things, you know, and shout and dance. Yeah. And it's Dr. Philgood who did it for me, and they were... Uh, they, they shook up the whole music industry. There would be no punk rock without Dr. Fuller. There would have been, you know, they, 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 they were just, uh, not just the music, it was the attitude. Mm. Lee Brillo, the lead singer, was a, uh, he, 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 he basically looked at you and said, I don't care what you think, this mm. is what I'm doing. You know, he, 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 he out rotten Johnny Rotten long before he did attitude. Mm. Walker Johnson, the guitarist there, you know, uh, he, he, he had manic dance, you know, looked at you again with a thousand yard stare. It's just, mm. just so. Fascinating to watch and to feel part of. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the first track uh, was one of their first tracks they recorded, written by Wilco Johnson, called mm. She Does It Right. And were you dressed like them in the crowd? 
No, not really. They were they were they were they were thin ties, uh, black suits, or white jacket. Famously, Libra had a white jacket. I was still jeans and t-shirts then. In fact, I still am now. I still haven't upgraded my. No, you're still dressed like a teenager. Uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Let's have a listen. So Simon mentioned South End there growing up. Uh, what, what was it like uh, growing up in a seaside town? It was fantastic. You know, my first job mm. was making candy floss, selling mm. candy floss to passing girls on a, a seafront cafe. And, and uh, you know, it was great. Stand there with it, you know, it was a great chat-up line to, mm. to, to do. I used to eat too much candy floss. I had other jobs uh, soon after working in a bingo hall, which was fascinating, you know, in gift shops. Uh, it was it was really quite exciting. I mean, it's, it really felt... I mean, I came from, let's face it, a fairly middle-class home. Mm. Both my parents are teachers, and down the seafront, rolling my own cigarettes, all this kind of stuff. You know, yeah. it, it, it was exciting. And, you know, at that time, in the in the 70s, it was an exciting music scene. It wasn't just stop to feel good. Mm. We had Eddie and the Hot Rods, who were, who were brilliant. We had the Curzel Flyers, mm. who had chart success. A whole lot of other local bands who were all good and local and fun and entertaining. Mm. You know, it really felt like... Uh, it didn't feel like it was the centre of the world by any stretch. I mean, I had to go up to London to find the real excitement. But, mm. you know, it was... Did you support those bands like you would a football team? Did very you much so. Very much so. You know, going up to the Hope and Anchor to see the Curzel Flyers, for instance. You know, they, they, they felt like ours. They were our bands, Feel Good mm. especially. In, on Candy Island, just outside Southend, they had the they had Feel Good House where, yeah. you know, you could always feel there was an open invitation to go there and hang out and mm. stuff, you know. And... You could often have a drink with uh, Lee Brillo. He's just drinking the pub called The Grand in Leon Sea, mm. part of the south end, uh, the estuary coastline there, and you could go in and have a chat with him. I mean, he was gruff and didn't suffer fools and all that, but, uh, you know, he wasn't like a, he wasn't like a rock star. Yeah. Although, you know, on stage he was, he was, he was snarling and, and, and all that. But, uh, you know, it, it, they, they were part of our youth. They were part of us. It, it, yeah. it was exciting, sure. Who were you hanging with at that point? Uh, who are my mates? Yeah. Uh, it was I was you know because I was working particularly when I was working at the bingo hall. Yeah. Everyone I, I was what, fifteen. Everyone else was seventeen or eighteen. Left school and were, were had other sorts of dodgy jobs. So I was hanging with them. They were really uh, dodgy crowd. Uh, several of them ended up uh, uh, inside. You know I can remember one. I've forgotten his name. He's done for nicking t-shirts. Uh, mm. You know and I can, can remember the court case where at South End Crown Court. And, uh, you know, he denied nicking his T-shirts, but he was actually wearing one to the court case, you know. It was... Uh, they, they, they weren't the most... Uh, uh, you know, it was a world of tattoos and fish and chips and... Uh, uh, 
all sorts of exciting things. You know, when you're growing up, uh, yeah. you want some grit in your life, and, and there's a lot of grit there. It was great. Uh, see where it comes from. Uh, so what's the second choice you've got for Well, I'm moving, moving right along from uh, Dr. Feelgood. I mentioned that they were the godfathers of punk, whatever it's called. It was punk music. It was my generation music. It was the first music that really felt like ours. It was music that, uh, uh, you know, there was no pretense. I, I, my whole life, uh, really since then, I've hated things and people that take themselves too seriously the punks didn't take themselves too seriously some of them did but it was largely it was it was happy it was rebellious it was shouting it was about us and the one that kicked the whole thing off the whole punk movement started by the ramones blitzkrieg bop uh, i can remember getting the, the the picture sleeve of it uh hey ho let's go it said on the on the front gabba gabba hey which you know came out of that mm. uh, and it just seemed that these guys are great they did, didn't care <laughs> they didn't sound great i can remember taking it around to different people's houses and everyone said this is rubbish yes it is it's brilliant you know <laughs> and, and it kick-started that whole guitar bands simple tight mm. short you know no pretension at all yeah fantastic And so, Simon, we're in one of your first loves, a mm. pub. Mm. Uh, another one of your great loves is, of course, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, a lifelong connection with them, and, and South End, of, yeah, nice, yeah. of course. But uh, how has your relationship with Chelsea changed over the years? You know, you used to go and... It was, you know, my, my, my dad and my granddad supported Chelsea, even though mm. I grew up in South End. And used to go and see South End United on a Friday night. On, on a Saturday, we'd go up and see Chelsea, or mm. actually other London clubs at times. Mm. But it's always been Chelsea. They were always... I always, uh, you know, I couldn't. I, 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 it was inbred in me to support them, but I always felt a real link with them because they were never quite successful, you know, ne- never quite achieving. You know, they were kind of, uh, uh, they were quite fancy dans at one stage. You know, they, they were relegated twice in my lifetime. You know, they've come back up. You know, so it's always been lots of um, lots of hope. You know, uh, in the nineties, finally got to cup final, which was great. Mm. Lost four 0 to Man United, which was. Typical of what, what you expected from Chelsea, you know, it's always, always a lot of hope, always yeah. a lot of fun. Mm. Um, all changed really when they, when they were taken over by the Russian, you know, and the the the, the, the very hope that you'd have when you walked to a game gone. It's all anticipation now. So uh, I used yeah. to have a season ticket. I gave it up uh, back about ten years ago now. Mm. When uh, to, I think penultimate game of the season, home we played Man United. We beaten three 0 a couple of years previously. That would have been that would have been wonderful. We would have said we've beaten United three 0 Let's all go and have a drink and celebrate. Mm. But we all left the ground thinking, nah, we should have done better. Mm. You know, we, we, we're better than this now. And and so the joy, 
an awful lot of the joy uh, was gone. You know, we weren't the sort of eternal hopers, optimists, occasional cup win. It was mm. suddenly we're expecting to win everything, you know, and obviously it's nice to win things, winning the leagues and cups and European yeah. cups, but the, 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 the childlike joy is gone now, you know, moved, moved on to a different thing. If I, if I could, if I had the choice, I'd love to support someone else, someone, uh, you know, someone maybe in the, in the championship, whatever, you know, uh, just so that you can c- capture that, that joy of getting promotion, joy of reaching a cup final. Mm. You know, I've now seen Chelsea in, I don't know how many cup finals, 17 cup finals mm. at Wembley, at Chelsea, abroad. And, you know, I, c- I can't remember them now. Mm. I, 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 could, I could tell you every single, every single round of the cup in uh, 94, in 97. Mm. In, in 97, we went to every round, a home and away, Portsmouth and Leicester. And, and uh, you know, it, it was exciting. Now, I can't tell you the last cup final I went to, really. Mm. Uh, and who we beat, you know. Yeah, well, I wouldn't wish you Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> uh, and can you remember a moment of either pure elation or, or pure fear as well? Because, you know, uh, sporting football... Uh, the, the, the elation, you know, I can remember the 97 Cup final when Bobby Di Matteo scored after 43 seconds. Mm. You know, and it's, it's the second Cup final I've been to with, uh, with Chelsea. And... You know, you finally thought, right? Actually, we might actually win something. We might actually do it, and the, and and the and the you know that that joy when we scored so quickly, and then the the fear for roughly about seventy minutes. You know, and the thought they might equalise, and then Eddie Newton got a second, and it was all over, and we won. You know, we celebrated at Wembley the day for about an hour afterwards. We didn't leave the ground, <laughs> and neither did the players. It was just such a such a joy, such a release of emotion, such a feeling that all those years. I mean, I was twenty. 25, was I? No, 35. I don't know. It is a long, a long, long years ago. Anyway, but, you know, I, I thought I'd spent my whole life supporting Chelsea and it's finally I've got some reward. What the second part of your question was... The saying was there a moment where you felt intimidated or scared, you know, when you've been supporting them, you know, during the 80s? Oh, God, yeah. Like, in the 70s know. and 80s, it was... Uh, and, and right through to the 90s. The last time, I remember, was 95. Played Millwall in the Cup. Uh, we, there were 2-2 two, two away at the Den. Uh, or new, at New Den, it was, actually. Mm. Uh, and uh, we were kept in the ground for about 45 minutes afterwards and then we all funnelled up away from the Millwall fans and they were chanting at the end of the road. When they came back to Chelsea a, few, a couple of weeks later, uh, it went to extra time. They got a goal, they invaded the pitch, you know, and the, the, their idea of invading the pitch wasn't celebrated. It was to run over and try and smack us one, yeah. you know. Uh, as a consequence, then when, when the final whistle went, uh, lots of our fans invaded the pitch to try and get the Millwall fans. That basic innate uh, violence was still there and it's frightening. I've always wanted to... You know, to run away from it, to be honest. I don't want to get hurt. I, no. I, I, more recently, I've experienced it a bit at Spurs, away at Spurs, you know. But, um, you know, largely, uh, largely touch wood, it's gone, that, yeah. that, 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 those kind of days. Uh, so what's your third choice? Uh, third choice is a song, uh, a song, a tune by Hugh Brown, reggae toaster from the 70s. Uh, it's called um, Black Star Liner. Uh, and I counted it on the John Peel show. Uh, I really, you know, for most people my age, John Peel was a massive influence. Course, yeah. uh, you know, and he, he, he moved on from playing his hoary old uh, rockers onto punk and stuff, and then reggae and dub reggae. Though this is particular one was a 12-inch version of this, which, you know, introduced me. I had heard dub reggae, and in fact I had one or two singles, but mm. this, this, it, this just seemed, you know, next to, I don't know, Sham 69, then U Brown and something mm. else, uh, just... Open my eyes to the idea that all music uh, can be good, you know. Mm. Uh, and I've had a lifelong uh, love of reggae before then, but since then as well, you know, the, uh, particularly the dub, particularly the, rasp, the, the, the root stuff. Mm. 
going back to Scar and everything else. But th- th- this was it, was it was purely that made me think about, I don't have to, you know, I define myself almost until then to think, right, I'm a punk rocker now, you know, so yeah. anything else is rubbish, you know. And then, well, actually, reggae's all right. And then once you think that reggae's all right, well, actually, a lot of this sort of funk is all right as well because mm-hmm. it's quite similar music and Scar. And then jazz, and why not? And then you, everything's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Still lots of things I don't particularly favour, but what I, what I believe now... All music is good. All music is designed to make people feel happy and enjoy themselves. Stop your first fight, so whether you black or white. Let's get together and we can't unite. Make us step it on the black star line. I make us step it on the black star line. I saw me say, I mean, I want no more wild and down, yeah. I mean, I want no more wild and down, yeah. Yeah, you know. I had about 5,000 albums, mm. something like seven to 8,000 singles and 12 inches that I built up. Mm. You know, my first record I bought when I was nine, I think. Yeah. Uh, I can remember where I bought it. It's Swansea, uh, Swansea Boots. Mm. We used to go down to, 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 to Wales every, every old day, my mum as well. And the Swansea Boots, and they had, they used to sell old singles for 10p. Mm. And uh, that summer, uh, we'd been to uh, Austria on a school trip because the dad was a teacher and one of the tracks that the boys kept on playing on the jukebox was John Lennon's Power to the People mm. you know so we, we came back from Austria and then went down to Wales as we normally did and I saw the single for Tempe in, in, in Swansea's boots so, so I thought I'd, I'd buy it you know picture cover John Lennon picture yeah. cover you know uh, and that ownership actually owning vinyl was great I, the, the excitement I remember yeah. you know then getting more singles and, and getting little singles I remember got I think my sister went to Germany and brought me back a little singles bo- bag box that could hold 20 singles. I was, oh, great, I must, I must fill this up with 20 singles. You yeah. know? And then pretty soon I had 100 singles and a few albums, and, and you know, then it went on and on and on. I wanted to uh, acquire everything, everything I liked, you know, so, that I could, mm. uh, so that I could play everything. But, you know, compact discs came in. I stopped playing the vinyl. CDs are much easier to use. Mm. So they ended up in a room uh, in my flat, and when my wife moved in, well, we had to get rid of them all. So... You know, I had to let go, let go. Um, How much of a wrench was that, was it? uh, It was... I couldn't have contemplated it, but it really was... We haven't got the room for them, Mm. you know, uh, so... You weren't tempted to replace your mattress with them, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, they all went. You know, there there were some records I loved. I would would quite like to have them now, but... Tear in your eyes now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So what format have you got the next uh, tune on? Uh, oh well, you know, MP3s all over the place now. I've still got, I, to be honest, I've still got about five thousand CDs. You know, so. <laughs> but what format have you got this next tune in? Oh, uh, next tune is um, "Lullaby of Birdland" mm. um, by Sarah Vaughan, 
Uh, and it goes back to the previous tune that one, uh, I was talking about Peely opened my eyes to different music. So in the early 80s, you know, suddenly jazz seemed okay. And uh, uh, I remember there was a collection called Jazz, uh, jazz Juice, mm. which came out on the Street Sounds label. And it was all sorts of funky stuff, and it included Lullaby of Birdland by this woman, Sarah Vaughan. And uh, I thought, oh, this is great. And we used to dance to it at, uh, at different clubs of the, of the time, of the mm. early 80s. And she was on at the Royal Albert Hall, so I thought, oh, I'll go and see her, you know. And, and I suppose in my mind I expected to see lots of, what, them were hipsters, you mm. know, filling it. But they, they weren't. There were some, of course. Mm. But I remember I sat next to this bloke who was about 80, you know. And, and he, you know, he said, oh, yeah, first, he said I first saw her in 1951 or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, again, that, that was another awareness of the fact that the music you like doesn't have to be the latest music, doesn't have to be something that's just come out. You can go right back to the, you know, decades before and find some great tunes, you know. Mm. I mean, with, with kids today, they've got rid of all those, you know, they don't, they're not bound by the charts so much, they're bound by the stuff they like, you know. Yeah. That's what MP3s released us from that, if you like, tyranny. But mm. back then it was very much, oh, this is what cool, what's cool is what's new, you know. Yeah. So listen to someone like Sarah Vaughan and seeing her live and realising that actually all music, going right back can be just as... Uh, irrelevant today as, as it was back then. Let's take a trip back then. Lullaby of Birdland, that's what I always hear when you sigh. Never in my wordland could there be ways to reveal in a phrase how I feel. Have you ever heard two turtle doves, Bill and Coo? When they love, that's the kind of magic music we make with our lips when we kiss. And there's a weepy old willow, he really knows how to cry. That's how I'd cry on my pillow. If you should tell me farewell and goodbye, lullaby of birdland whisper low. Kiss me sweet and we'll go flying high in birdland, high in the sky up above, all because we're in love. That was Sarah Vaughan. Uh, Simon, as I mentioned, you are um, the people's champion. That's how people know you in the independent. You're the, uh, the, the money editor. How do you approach trying to sort of delve into pe- people's lives and help them? You, you know, you seem to find that quite rewarding. I do find it rewarding, you know. It's not... Um, your basic journalism, when you're reporting on something, is, you know, you're, you're, you're informing people stuff. I'm, I get a real thrill out of being able to help people, you know. And mm. When it comes to finance, people, a lot of people can't help themselves because they find it confusing, they find it difficult to engage with it because it's complicated, or, or they just get banjacked by the, by the whole principle. Mm. You know, and there are so many uh, people who are treated unfairly by big companies. It really is a, uh, you know, a, 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 a Goliath and a, and a uh, mm. kind of story, you know. Um, so it's, you know, you can tell from talking to people genuinely that they are confused, mm. and sometimes it's quite simple to help them. You know, so... Uh, you know, I encourage people to write to me and, and talk to me, even talk to people in pub often and get stories yeah. from them because everyone's got a tale of how their bank or their energy company or their mobile phone company has ripped them mm. off. And uh, mostly it's they, they've been badly treated, you know. Yeah. 
And, and the more I can highlight it, the more I can force these companies to behave well. Well, that, that pleases me. But mm. the fact is, if I can help one person, you yeah. know, if I write a story that says, oh, watch out for this, and someone writes me, said, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I think that's been worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I'm not just filling space, I'm actually helping people. You know? Absolutely. And you've worked in most of the newsrooms on Fleet Street over the last... I've, had, uh, I've worked at the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Guardian, the Mirror, the, uh, you know, uh, the Express, shifted at the Mail, you know, the... Uh, you what know. are the atmospheres like? In the, you know, from the outside world, people see working in newspapers quite uh, as prestigious, but very dog eat dog. What's your experience? Yeah, in the um, it's it varies around. And my experience is that they're not particularly nice places. You know, they're not. Uh, uh, there can be a lot of competition. There can be a lot of bullying. Mm. Still, you know, particularly on some of the tabloids. You know, uh, and the bullying comes out of a, of a, of a need to. To, to, to get all the stories done, but yeah. it, it manifests itself often in unpleasant ways. And uh, I th- find that the Independent, when I joined there, there was a much more collegiate spirit. I, everyone was happy to help much more, mm. a much friendlier paper, uh, much leaner workforce, perhaps, so that there wasn't, you know, if if there, if there, if anyone did try to bully anyone, yeah. well, the works won't get done because you know <laughs> it's it's not. I don't find it productive ways. Yeah, you know, it's a carrot rather than stick, and uh, so it's been a, a joy working. Yeah. Uh, at the Indy, where there have been many more helpful people. That's good. And uh, one of the reasons that you're so well-liked, I think, is that you t- you don't take yourself too seriously, as you say. Um, and, you know, you've got a sort of childlike attitude. I mean, I think one time you <laughs> played cricket in the office. In, of, yeah, one, 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 <laughs> one place I've worked, we uh, you know, used to work on Saturday or Sunday sometimes. So when there's no-one else around, uh, we take advantage of... Had quiet downtimes, <laughs> played cricket in one office. Uh, you know, between with, features. Uh, well, between features, you know, they, 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 there was a big in one office. There was a big um, globe mm. which served as a football mm. uh, until we burst it. Uh, to you know, which we all denied, of course. Uh, you know, the, the cricket. You can always have a game of cricket with rolled up paper with various rulers uh, as bats. You know, and, and uh, they, they, they all helped to pass the time. You know, particularly if you're working at the weekend and you feel a bit fed up, it, uh, half an hour doing this is a uh, good way to <laughs> let off a bit of steam. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I haven't done that for years, to be honest, no. though. No, no, of course no you're not. far too sensible. <laughs> um, so tell us about your next tune. Is that uh, one to let off steam as well? Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's uh, uh, Next is Next. Next is the Scott Walker version of the Jacques Brel song, mm. uh, Au Suivant. It's, uh, I mean, I, 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 Jacques Brel I loved, uh, if I could understand uh, his stuff, but, you know... Wonderful um, musician, wonderful uh, teller of tales, wonderful. You know, I, I do like a, a song with story. This has got a real story. You know, it's about a soldier uh, whose who's first uh, uh, first experience with a woman. You know, and uh, it, it has a lot of humour. Uh, it's uh, you know perhaps a little bit shocking in here at the first time, but it's uh, it's got a great. I like I like that kind of the, the sort of the beat of it. It's I wouldn't say it's one of my favourite songs, but it's it's fun and interesting song. You know, it shows mm. that. Pop music, which Jack Bell was just a pop musician, really, yeah. doesn't have to be just I love you and you love me. It can be, yeah. it can tell a tale, it can have some interesting word choices. And this is a translation of the original Belgium, of course, but you know, it's, it's still, uh, and Scott Walker I loved, mm. uh, you know, uh, in the music world, he's always pushed the boundaries a bit and, and things. And some of his more recent things are quite impenetrable. Mm. Uh, I'd recommend them if you've got the time, but they, 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 you know, you might find them a bit impenetrable. But if you go back to the 60s and Jacques Brel covers and some of his own works there, they're just masterful pop creations. I really would have liked a little touch of tenderness, maybe a word, just a smile, some instant happiness. But no, no, next, next, 
Oh, it, it wasn't so tragic. The high heavens didn't fall, but how much at that time I hated being there at all. Next! Next! Now I always will recall the brothel truck, the flying flags, the queer lieutenant who slapped our asses as if we were fags. Next! Your next! I swear on the wet head of my first case of gonorrhea. It's his ugly voice that I forever hear. The next, next, that voice that stinks of corpses, of whiskey and of mud. It is the voice of the nations, that thick voice of blood. Next, next. And since then, each woman I've taken to bed Seems to laugh in my arms and a whisper through my head. Next. Next. So, Mr. Reed. Yep. Um, we were talking about your sort of childlike attitude to some things, but uh, how have you approached uh, fatherhood? You've got two boys. Two boys. I mean, it was, to be honest, it's the first time uh, having children, the first time in my life, you know, you, you have responsibilities that you. You don't want to avoid. Mm. You, you want to embrace it. You know, mm. it, it's it's a huge, great uh, uh, privilege to be a parent. You know, uh, it's a huge, great challenge. It brings its joys and its pains. You know, mm. it's like all things in life. You know, you can't have joys without pains. You've got to balance. Mm. If you try and stay away from uh, experiencing things, then it can be a little bit dull. Mm. Uh, parenting's not dull. If you, it's funny when 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 we started. You know, my son was little. I couldn't wait to get home, see him, and mm. you know. Uh, Changes nappy, whatever it might have been. Whereas I had friends who were finishing work and then, oh, just going for a couple of pints, you know, mm. uh, in, so that they could avoid uh, all the domestic stuff or spending time with the child, you know. Mm. Or oh, I won't get home too late because by that time he or she would be in bed. And it just seemed yeah. such a bizarre thing to, to want to miss out on these golden times, mm. you know. I mean, not, uh, you know, lots of people don't want to be parents, which is fine, but I, I've enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed it all. I mean, as I say, there are some bad times, but it, it's great and it's. Uh, it's great when you have these, these. I've got two boys, and they're lovely boys, and they're, you know, they've grown, growing up 12, 15 now, and they're mm. uh, respectful, and, uh, you know, they're growing up to be nice, nice people, yeah. Mm. And how, what part does music play with the boys and well, uh, with that? You know, I've always played, always played music at home. I always like to have uh, a musical home. It, it suggests a home full of joy rather than uh, hate or whatever, I don't know. But uh, So I've always played a lot of music to them. Um, you know, they've always being aware of different things. They listen to music, you know. I, I, I get from them, they don't have the same passion as I do, but I don't know if youngsters have the same passion, you know. When, when I was growing up, we didn't have the computer games, mm. which takes up a lot more of their time. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, I play stuff to, to, to my son, he says, oh, that was in, that was in FIFA 14, you yeah. know. So, so, so they're kind of enjoying music in a different way, and who, who knows what will happen in the future is all, is, is all good stuff. Yeah, of course. And Abby, how do you share music with her? Well, I play, play a lot of stuff to her. She, she likes a lot of the same music. Well, she likes a lot of music. She, she doesn't like... I've realised she doesn't like anything that is like post-rock or drone or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, and, and I, I discovered this, actually, it's not recently, I discovered this back in the early 90s. We've been together a long time. Yeah. Uh, uh, and with a group who, um, uh, Sonic Youth, they were, yeah. uh, I, I, I can't remember what category you described them, but they're sort of post-rock, I post suppose. Rock, yeah. And I played, uh, I remember I went to the States and I picked up their latest album at the time. It's the first on a major label, I forgot what it's called. Uh, Daydream Nation, bro. No, it wasn't. It's one oh. after Daydream Nation. 
Goo. Was it Goo? Anyway, yeah. so I played her that. You know, I'd say, oh, this is great. I've been really enjoying this. And yeah. she'd say, oh, it's awful. It's just, just an awful noise, you know. Mm. Uh, so I didn't play it to her for about 20 years. And then we had some friends over, and I was, made a playlist. I thought, well, I'll stick a, I'll stick a Sonic Youth. <laughs> right. and, and within about three seconds of it coming on, she's, oh, what's this? It's terrible. You know? <laughs> so she, she, she actually she does, doesn't like that kind of stuff, yes. you know. Uh, and I try well, at least she's consistent. She's very mm-hmm. consistent, and I, mm-hmm. I, I try and throw some into the mix now and again, and, and she, you know, her face curls up. <laughs> <laughs> so, are your next choice past the Abbey Test? Uh, yes, up to a point. Mm. Up to a point. It's uh, it, Felicuti. Felicuti, oh, I think, is, uh, uh, you know, music. I like music that makes you dance is fantastic. Mm. Music that makes you feel happy is fantastic. A number of times I've been, I don't know, wherever it might be, and you just hear the opening tracks of a Felicuti track. It mm. starts off normally quite quiet, just a little couple notes, ba da ba da ba da and you think, oh, yeah, and you know. And, and if you listen to it, it just builds up and builds up, and the, the excitement builds up, and it might be ten minutes before this chorus starts, mm. you know, and, uh, and it's just, you're just right there, you know. Uh, but it's not just the, the funk, the post-James Brown funk that he creates that's exciting, it's the... Uh, the words, you know, I'm slightly pidgin English at times, you know, because he's uh, from Nigeria, but uh, very political. I like, I like political songs. You know, mm. again, it's pop music doesn't need to be uh, trite. It can carry important messages. Yeah. The, the, the track I've chosen is not the most deep of them, uh, but it, uh, it also demonstrates the sense of humour that you had. The song, the song I've chosen is called Expensive Shit, uh, you know, and there's just a famous story where the, it, the police are always... Uh, uh, trying to arrest him for different crimes. They mm. planted some dope on him at one time, so he swallowed it. So he took him down to the police station, waited for his shit to come out so that they could analyse it and then do him. Uh, you know, he <laughs> was so popular over there. Yeah. Uh, apparently, so the story goes, other cellmates gave him their shit mm-hmm. to, to use, you know, uh, and so there was no proof, you know, and yeah. they had to let him go, you know. And he wrote the song, Spencer Shit, that, that he was in the station for, for, I don't know, 24 hours. All the, all the police had come to his compound to arrest him and look after him. It cost him a lot of money for nothing, you know, and it, the, the, the song's all about that. It's really funky. Even without the lyrics, it's, it's a really fun 15 minutes. You yeah. listen to the lyrics and he's really having a go at the police, which are largely the police deserve to be had a go at, you know, but in, in such a funny and interesting way and based on a true story, you know, it's got lots going on. Excellent. Well, we may have to truncate it slightly, but uh, <laughs> let's have a listen. Me a big fella, a big black power man. Me a big fella, a big black power man. I go bend my ass, I go shit. I go come out away from the sheets. This shit could be the last way I go like to see. Not be so for some fools, why I know. Not be so for some stupid people, I know. Not be so for some fools, why I know. People work go like to quench your soul. People work go like to quench your soul. And don't use that shit to put you for jail. And don't turn my shit to expensive shit. My shit not exhibit. He must not lose you. And don't turn my shit to expensive shit. My shit not exhibit. He must not lose you. That was Fela Kuti. So, Simon, can you tell us, uh, you, you seem like quite a day-to-day, you know, what am I going to do today kind of person, but what do you think about the future? Are you one of those journalists who are desperate to, you know, pen a book? In fact, you have, you have, you have been published. I have, I have been published in books. No, I, I, you know, mm. ambition is not, uh, 
uh, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to be able to write a book, but I haven't got the patience or the, or the ability, to be honest. I mean, I'm happy just to go on day to day. You know, I'm, I, I like helping people. I like the work I do. Mm. Um, like most people, I do more money, but that's, um, you know, I, sure. I, feel, I feel very blessed to have work that I enjoy. You know, mm. you think of millions of people in, in jobs that they hate uh, and they don't feel they can escape. So, so in that sense, I'm fine. Uh, the future, I, I'm not one to look to the future and take care of himself, you know. Mm. Uh, I've never particularly had plans in my life, which, uh, you know, can be annoying for the people around me sometimes. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's... The, I mean, the future is important, but the now is more important. You know, it's that, mm. that, that thing about making sure that you do uh, have a good time. Not all the time, but, you know, when you can. You know, yeah. you don't want to have a life of drudgery, you want to have a life of... You look back and think that was good. That's good fun. I enjoyed it. And you'll be there um, sipping cocktails uh, forever. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, what, definitely. What's your favourite? Favourite cocktail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes and goes. You know, uh, like Manhattan or a sidecar or a... sidecar's your synonymous. Yeah, so I mean, Simon I'd, Sidecar I'd, Reader. I'd shouldn't I? Drink a lot of sidecars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what's your next choice? Your seven? Uh, it's. Um, I was going to talk about Nick Cave. Okay, he was. Um, you know, birthday party and onwards to the 80s. I saw him in the 80s. And then, you know, when I was about 30, I can remember going to, going to some gigs. I saw someone like Carter USM. It's early 90s, Carter USM. Who else did I see that? And I looked around the audience. I thought, oh, I'm too old for this. I've got to stop going to live music. Sorry, young people, you know. And I didn't go to a gig for at least two years, maybe three years. And then someone said, oh, Nick, Nick Cave's at the Royal Albert Hall. You know, you want to come along? I thought, oh, why not? You know, and I went to see him and... Uh, it all came rushing back, the joy of, of hearing songs that you know. And particularly with him, mm. I really noticed that I've always liked all his music, but uh, on album it's, it's, it's okay, yeah, it's nice. Mm. But live, it's suddenly, it, it's much better. It really, really hits home. Uh, he, he's, he's, I find him a great performer. Yeah. You know, he knows how to... I mean, it looks like he's having fun. Yeah. Some of the subject matter is quite serious, but, you know... He, he doesn't seem to take himself too seriously. So the, every gig I've been to, I've enjoyed. It's, mm. uh, it really, really introduced me to the joy of going to live concerts. And I haven't stopped going ever since. I mean, I try and do at least 10 or 12 every year, you know, different things. And, yeah. You know, small, and, and he did. But, uh, the, the, in fact, the song I've chosen is not his version. Mm. It's one of, his, one of my most favourite songs of his. But the version I like best is by Johnny Cash. The song is called The Mercy Seat. It's, mm. you know, about someone facing the electric chair. Yeah. Uh, and... Johnny Cash's version, you know, he did those great series of albums when he's approaching his death. Uh, Gravitas, uh, you know, it's, they're just fantastic versions. It's made of wood and wire, and my body is on fire. And God is never far away. Into the mercy seat I climb. My head is shaved, my head is wired. And like a moth that tries to enter the bright eye. I go shuffling out of life just to hide in death a while. And anyway, I never lie. And the mercy seat is waiting, and I think my head is burning. And in a way, I'm yearning to be done with all this weighing of the truth. And I for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And anyway, I told the truth. And I'm not afraid to die And the mercy seat is burning And I think my head is glowing And in a way I'm hoping To be done with all this twisting of the truth And I for an eye and a tooth for a tooth And anyway there was no proof And I'm not afraid to die So Simon, we've cast you out into the desert With these 
eight tunes. Uh, um, how resourceful are you? How would you find yourself in the desert? You're, you're quite a people person, but I'm, I'm sure you could amuse yourself. I could. I mean, I do like people. I do like talking to people, spending time with people, but, you know, I'm equally happy amusing myself, particularly with music. Mm. And, you know, it, it can transport you into wherever you want, you know. Mm. Uh, so so I'd, I'd keep myself um, a company fairly well. As long as I had... <laughs> I'm allowed a luxury item, aren't I? Uh, yes, you are. What What would you? Uh, well, select? my my luxury item would be a cocktail shaker, on the assumption that there'd be regular bottles of booze appearing, <laughs> uh, you know, floating down from the sky or whatever, you know, so that I can keep myself busy, you know, creating new cocktails, just just creating some of my favourites, you know, mm. and whiling away a few hours having a few drinks, listening to music, singing to myself, you know, this kind of thing, you know. Dancing to myself, you know. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, you know, we're actually quite generous here on Desert Isolation Gist, so we, we give you uh, that and uh, the Tiger Came to Tea and the Red Dwarf box set. So you'll be <laughs> sorted. <laughs> um, so, Simon, what's your final choice of today? Well, the final song really is, uh, uh, it comes, it sort of sums up my philosophy of life, really. Hmm. Uh, it's uh, a song, Lieber and Stoller song from the 60s called Is That All There Is? Hmm. And a version I, that I like by Peggy Lee. Hmm. Uh, you know, if it's. Um, uh, you know, it's about an old cynic, really, uh, who says, never mind, you know, we're all going to die one day, but uh, in the meantime, let's keep drinking and dancing. <laughs> and when I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears, and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. there watching I had the feeling that something was missing I don't know what but when it was all over I said to myself is that all there is to the circus is that all there is is that all there is if that's all there is my Got the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. So, Simon, that's your eight choices. Um, if you had to just pick one of those to live forevermore with, uh, what would it be? That's a very difficult one, isn't it? Um, mm. It would have to be one that I would be happy singing and dancing to for the rest of my life. Gosh, that's very hard. <laughs> um, do you know what? I'll probably just go for Peggy Lee there and, you know, break out the booze and have a ball, sit there in my solitude, make them the cocktails. Yeah. You paint an image of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one to shake. Uh, Simon Reid, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you as my guest on Desert Isolation Disc. Thank yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. Enjoyed it. Hey! When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.